Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15 today, starting uh, with verse 25. Uh, this morning Romans 15 and verse 25 but now I go unto Jerusalem this is the apostle Paul speaking but now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem it hath pleased them verily And their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is is also to minister unto them in carnal things. Amen. For a little while this morning, uh, I would like to speak along this lines. And and please don't get nervous. This just doesn't uh, encompass money, all right? Uh, But I would like to minister along this lines. Give to who you received from. Give to who you received from. All right, can we join our voices together as we pray over this this morning, Father? I come to you today. I'm thankful, Lord, for your presence. God, that we can sense in this place. I'm thankful for it. God, I thank you, Lord, for our guests, Lord, that are here this morning. God, we appreciate them and their, Lord, attendance here at the house of God today. I pray, Lord, open our mind and our understanding. God, let this principle, Lord, let this word be more, God, through the monetary, Lord Jesus, side, but God, even the side of our lives, our hearts, Lord, our time, our souls lord to offer it lord god unto you will praise you and will thank you god for what you do in this place in jesus name that i pray and everybody say amen amen before you see this morning look at your neighbor and tell him it's good to see you this morning we hope we didn't make liars out of anybody with that statement amen good to see you this morning give to who you received from The Apostle Paul is writing to the Romans about how he truly desires to come and see them. He had made it his intention, he had made it a desire of his to go and see the Romans and the the church at Rome. But first he said, I must go to Jerusalem. Uh, In my trip and in my journey before I reach Rome, I must go to Jerusalem because there's a reason behind it. I'm laden and I am burdened with a lot of money. Now, the Apostle Paul by himself, in and of himself, just wasn't loaded with money. But he had been on a mission. He had been on a journey that he had been collecting offerings and collecting money from different churches that he had planted, different churches that he had established, money he had collected from them. Everybody say carnal things. Carnal things. Money he had collected from them from various places, from places like Macedonia and Achaia. He had been there, and he collected this for the saints that were located at Jerusalem. And the apostle purposed in his heart and in his mind that he would go to Jerusalem and he would present these offerings. He would present these carnal things, if you will, to them at 
Jerusalem. Give these alms and these offerings to the people of that nation that after he had passed through Macedonia and collected, he's taken that to Jerusalem. After through Achaia and collected, he's taken that to Jerusalem. But Macedonia and Achaia uh, were predominantly Roman provinces, predominantly Gentile inhabitants. And so he's collecting from some Gentiles to go give to the Jews, which is a very high watermark in the New Testament for the Gentiles to be given to the Jews or for Jews to be given to the Gentiles. And so these Roman provinces were not only, the Bible says, pleased to contribute, that they took great joy in giving to the cause, giving to the saints at Jerusalem, but they are spoken of elsewhere in Scripture even in the book of Corinthians, that they even made preparations for giving. They weren't only happy and pleased to give, but they had enough forethought and foresight that, you know what, we're, we're going to lay some aside for the purpose and the intent of giving to our saints, our brothers and sisters that are at Jerusalem that have fallen on some hard times. So we see a group of people that are very eager if I could say. They're, they're eager to give to the cause. And the Jews at Jerusalem had fallen on some hard times, folks. Uh, due to famine that had came in their city, they're falling on hard times. Uh, due to the persecution of the church at Jerusalem, hard times have come as a result of that. There were some men that lost their jobs because they were, had their allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of their allegiance, they lost their job. So uh, income and money just wasn't as it were prior to that. And so there's an influx also that happens at Jerusalem. Every feast, where does everybody go? Jerusalem. So they have their brothers and sisters in Christ, other Jews that are there at Jerusalem. Some that have been just isolated and abandoned don't even have the money to get back home. So where are they going to stay? At Jerusalem. And so these people that are already under a burden, the people at Jerusalem are taking in their homes, other people that have come to feast that as a result of the persecution now don't have money to get back home. So everybody say it's bad. It's bad. They've fallen on some hard times. And so word gets out. And Paul lets the word get out to these various churches that they are in need. And surprisingly then, to the aid of the Jews at Jerusalem, come help from the Gentiles of Macedonia and Achaia, which seems to be very surprisingly. Not only did they get help, but it pleased the Gentiles to offer this help unto these people and make a certain contribution. Now, I understand we're talking about Gentiles sending monetary resources to the Jewish saints in Jerusalem that are poor, that have fallen on some unfortunate, very hard times. However, I believe niched right here in Romans 15 that there is a principle that is relayed here that is applicable, if you will, for giving in general for us today. For giving for you and I in general. Please note, first of all, that the Gentiles were not only pleased or happy to give, but they considered themselves debtors unto whom they were giving. They said, we're pleased to give to uh, the saints at Jerusalem. We're very pleased, we're happy to do that. But we consider ourselves debtors unto them. In other words, they said, we, we, we feel as though we owe them this. Well, why in the world, why in the world would you Gentiles feel like you owe those Jews anything? 
Why, why, why would you feel like you are a debtor unto them? The Bible says in John 4, 24, whenever Jesus is having a discourse with a woman, Samaritan woman at the well, he said, ye worship, ye know not what. He says, but we know what we worship. For salvation, I want to say salvation. For salvation is of the Jews. Jesus is speaking to a Samaritan woman at the well. A Samaritan individual was a half Jew, half Gentile breed. Speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well, and at that well, he's extending to her. She's come to him, and she said, Sir, you have no you have no bucket. You have no pail to draw with. You're, you're here at the well. You don't have nothing to draw with. He said, honey, if you'd known the gift of God and who it is that you're speaking to, you would ask of me of water and I would give you living water and you would never thirst again. By implication, Jesus in saying living water was implying I would give you salvation. I would give you my spirit and you would never thirst again. So there is a great opportunity that is being extended to this Samaritan woman in verse 22. Whenever we understand plainly that he said that salvation is of the Jews, yet he's extending living water to a Samaritan who's half Jew and half Gentile. He's extending to her a privilege in their custom and day that was known or commonly understood as only being a Jewish privilege. Salvation only for the Jews. It's only a privilege that the Jews have. Amen. Formerly in that time, the Gentiles had no right to that. The Samaritans did not have no right to that salvation or that spirit of God. However, through the teaching and the preaching of the Apostle Paul and many other disciples, that blessed message of salvation, of old things passing away and all things becoming new, that message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus, how he took sins and nailed them to a cross, it wasn't just a message that was preached, amen, through Peter and Paul just to the Jew, but it was also extended to the Gentile and to the Samaritans. Someone say amen. So it's brought to the Gentiles, it's brought to the Jews, it's brought to the Samaritans, it's brought to whosoever will. So with all of that in mind, Peter and Paul being Jewish themselves, extended the message to the Gentiles. And so now the Gentiles are saying in Romans 15, we feel in debt to the Jews. We feel in debt to the saints of Jerusalem because they educated us about this Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They educated us about the possibility of a new life and an undoing of the old life. They educated us about salvation, but not only did they tell us about it, but they told us it was for us just as well as the Jew. That we could have it just as well as the Jew. Gentile, you can have this. Samaritan, you can have this. There is no bonds about race or creed or nationality that gets this thing all bound up. It is for whosoever will. Someone say amen. And so scripture tells us in Romans 15 that it pleased the Gentiles to contribute 
to the Jews in Jerusalem. They were willing to contribute. They wanted to make a contribution. Why? Because through their eyes, they had received so much from this race. Now know well the principle in lengthy form, if you will, in Romans 15, verse 27. This is the principle. A principle you can take out of this context and apply it other places, all right? The principle is this then. He says, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things. Their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. Through the eyes, Brother Terry McGee, of the Gentiles, they benefited from the Jews' spiritual things. That salvation that salvation message. So therefore they willingly took and they willingly received some of those spiritual things that came through and by them. Therefore the admonition in scripture is this, if you've been made a partaker of spiritual things, then you need to give back toward where you received those spiritual things by carnal things, by ordinary things. Can someone hear me today? If you'll consider the application of this principle for giving in general, amen, let me ask you, how often does a person or people receive or been made partakers of God or even from the church? I'm not just talking about money. How many times have you been benefited through spiritual measures by God? Begin to recall and ask yourself the question, how many times has he healed my body? How many times has his safe hand of protection kept me from a very fatal accident or fatal crash? How many times did I just feel like I needed to go here instead of there? And it was all with reason and with purpose. You know what that is? You are receiving some spiritual things from a spiritual source. And the mandate of heaven is this. If you have been a partaker of spiritual things from a spiritual source, then you need to reciprocate that and give some carnal things back to where you received. I'm asking somebody today that's benefited from heaven, that's been benefited from God will you give the Lord your life will you give him your time will you give him your monetary goods because you've been endowed with blessings I've received some spiritual goods and I want to give to who I have received from yes Amen. Yes. It's an important principle to give to who you have received from. We've been made partakers of some grand things. 
whenever I begin to recount just the histories of my life about how good God has been to Paul McGee, I stand back in awe sometimes, Brother Fred McGee, and I ask, why in the world, oh God, would you be so good to somebody like me? And you know what that generates in my heart? Man, I'm a debtor unto Christ. None of this would have been made possible without him. None of this could have happened unless he underwrote what I needed underwrote. None of this would have taken place. I might not be here today if it were I'm a debtor unto God. And so with that, I'm giving him my life. I'm giving him my worship. I'm giving him my praise. I just want to give back to who I have received from today. Hallelujah. I got to minister that back unto the Lord. I got to give that back unto the Lord. It's my responsibility. It's my duty unto the church and the church of God and to God to give my natural things, whether it be my time, money, worship, whatever it is, to give it back unto God. Consider today, consider. In the practice, in the practice of gift giving you know a person may begin to feel a little embarrassed if they've received gifts from someone but have never given gifts to that person you know during holiday time the little holiday tags brother and sister France you know to, to Charlie. From, we'll give it, we'll let somebody else give you. From Terry McGee. In that moment, an idea of gift exchange and gifts, a lot of times, and if we find this, to Charlie, from Terry, usually, is that somewhere in that mix, you're going to find the tag that says, to what? Terry. From Charlie. And in moments where there isn't no reciprocation, but there's constant giving from one side, but not a reciprocating from the other side. I don't know how you feel, but as a person, if you have any natural tendencies, you begin to feel just a little odd, a little peculiar. A little embarrassed. You feel like, I'm really going to have to do something for them. Huh? Because many times you've received gifts and a lot of times who you receive gifts from are who you send gifts to. This morning... I don't know how many times you've checked the tag lately. I don't know how many times you've checked the tag lately in the past months of your life, but I'm seeing a familiar pattern to Margaret Garrett, to Shauna Wood, to Andrew McBroom, and they're all from the same source, from God, from God, 
from God and it's not just been the past few months but along the journey of your life I keep seeing this pattern from God from God blessing increase from God from God I don't know about you but I feel in debt today to the one from whom I have received and I want to reciprocate that I want to turn that around and send something back heavenward because heaven's been so good to me Amen. So the simplified, the simplified principle of give your carnal substance toward who you received your spiritual substance is just simply give to who you received from. Just give to who you received from. For the Gentiles, they sensed and believed this is the least that we can do. This is not a grand thing that the apostles come by and told us need of. Or this is the least. Why would you consider that Gentile? Why would you consider this being the least that you could do? Because we receive so much. Giving your life to the Lord is not a major transaction per se. It's just the least it's just a reasonable service. Hey man, just offering your life, that's just a reasonable service. Why do you deem it as such? Because you've been benefited so much by heaven. Because you've been benefited so much by God. It's the least that we could do. They not only seen it as their privilege, it didn't only please them, look at this, they not only seen it as their privilege, it didn't only just please them, but they accepted it. Look at it in verse 27. They accepted it as their obligation. They said that their duty is also to minister unto them, the Jews, in carnal things. Now you know somebody has received something from someone whenever they're giving to them isn't a hardship. It's not a, well, I guess to have to. But whenever their duty and obligation to give in return is something they're happy about. I'm liking this. I'm enjoying this. I feel good about doing this. This has, although I'm giving away, this hasn't subtracted anything from my life. Let me tell you today, you will never lose out on anything by giving to who you received from. You'll never lose out on anything, anything, any. Somebody hear me today. You're thinking, no, if I give my life to God, my finances, my worship, I'm gonna lose out on some things. Absolutely wrong. You're not gonna lose out on anything by giving to who you received from. A thousand times no. So they didn't just see it as a privilege. They seen it as their obligation. There's something I learned very quickly than this, from this then. When we approach certain duties and obligations with an impressionable spirit, they will become our privileges. Man. So this is a dude, this is an obligation. But man, I have an impressionable spirit. I understand what's happening in all these transactions. This isn't an, they call it an obligation. Man, I call it a privilege. I like doing this. 
I got to move on today. We're having too much fun. About 500 years before the law, Abraham pondered this principle about giving to who or where you received from. Genesis chapter number 14. In verse 18, let me rehydrate. The Bible says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he, Abraham, gave him tithes of all. These verses of scripture this morning follow a very massive battle that was between various kings, and I'll, I'll, I'll save you from me naming them today. Various kings. Among them, though, which were the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah. Both of these kings of Sodom and Gomorrah had fled during this huge battle. These particular cities of Sodom and Gomorrah had lost all their goods. They have lost their what's called victuals during this battle. The other kings even took a man that was in Sodom and Gomorrah by the name of Lot who happened to be Abraham's nephew. They took Lot during this battle and his goods. And upon hearing word of all of this that had happened and taken place from one who had escaped the battle, Abraham heard this. And upon hearing it, he takes 318 of his own servants into this massive battle against those that namely held his nephew his relative, Lot, captive. And the Bible says that Abraham was very valiant in bringing back all the goods, in bringing back Lot, in bringing back Lot's goods, the women, and the people. They, in essence, brought back all that was lost. And the Bible says that Melchizedek, being a priest of the Most High God, and at that time, the priest always participated as a mediator between the people and God. That Melchizedek, being a priest of the Most High God, he approaches Abraham after this grand victory of this grand battle that has been won by Abraham's hand, so to speak. And, that, and the priest comes out and he blesses Abraham. He says, blessed be Abraham, and in so many words, he's saying, blessed be Abraham who belongs to God. Blessed be Abraham who belongs to the Most High God. And look, look at the further clarification he puts on God. Possessor. Not coincidental, he puts that on there. Possessor of heaven and earth. This is just not any God. Old Testament people sometimes had these multiplicity of gods, little g with s. And they only served over 
certain jurisdictions and certain regions. But there's making a contrast right here. The priest is saying, but this is God, possessor of not just one forest. He doesn't just have one mountain region. He has all the mountain regions. He's the possessor of heaven and earth. And the Bible says after Melchizedek blessed Abraham, who was God's, he goes on then to bless the most high God. He, he didn't stop just at blessing Abraham who belonged to God, but he blessed the most high God. Amen. Which the Bible said delivered Abraham's enemies into his hand. There's a lot being said in just a few words right here. Because whenever Melchizedek begins to bless that most high God which delivered Abraham's enemies into his hand. He's, re, he's reiterating that this God is the possessor of heaven and earth and that Abraham, the battle that on surface level looks like you won today was really won by your God. I gotta preach to us this morning. Because on surface level in our lives sometimes we see things happen in our life as though it was because of me and because of you. Well, that happened because I was at the right place at the right time and I did the right thing, had the right word to say and all that came about because I'm great. Let me tell you today, by and large, most things that unfold in your life that have any goodness or greatness or a claim attached to them is not because of you. It may look like that on the surface, but it's because behind of you, there is somebody who owns the world and the fullness thereof. His name is God, and it's by his hand. You work where you work today. You have the house that you have today. The vehicles that you drive today, the family of love you have today is because of God. And so when we start breaking it down like that, Abraham, you're God's. And the victory that was secured today was because of God. It kind of puts Abraham in a posture that he's been more a receiver. Maybe perhaps in a giver and all this. And so in this moment, Abraham must be thinking a little bit about possession of heaven and earth. That's my God. I'm standing here victorious with all these spoils behind me. God did that. I know we all had our swords, boys, and you had your shield. We went out there and we had sweat and blood, but the, 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 where the robber meets the road, all these spoils behind us. That's God that gave that to us. And see, normally, whoever was the victor, if they, got the, if they got the spoils of war, they got to take the spoils of war home. You the man. But Abraham had a different understanding. I'm a whole lot less of a man than what I thought because everything, all this goodness that's behind me, that's all because God has given that to me. And whenever Abraham begins to understand that, he's not just going to pick up his boys, his servants that he warred out there with and all the goods and go home. The Bible says whenever he begins to ponder God being the possessor of all things and understanding that he stood there today victorious, amen, because of God, that the 
Bible says Abraham gave tithes, a tenth of all the spoils that he had collected in war unto the priest who is the mediator between men and God. In essence, by he gave to God through the priest Melchizedek because he understands God's the possessor of all this. I don't own this. This all belongs to God. God made me victorious today. And so I'm going to give all this to God. Folks, your life, your time, your finances, it's God's. It belongs to God. Whenever we begin to ponder the realization of that, we're going to fulfill a principle of giving to who we have received from the possessor of heaven and earth. I'm just going to touch on this. And I'm not, listen, we don't around here talk about money every Sunday, all right? Every once in a while we talk about it, just to talk about it. But just for a real quick, according to a 2010, 2010 statistic, they say that only 4% of professing Christians tithe to the Lord. And I didn't realize that's 2010, and so that could have changed for the better or worse. Bible says Abraham gave tithes of all unto Melchizedek. Just walk with me here for a little bit. I'm not going to hurt you, okay? <laughs> Hebrews 6.20 speaks of this Melchizedek priesthood in Hebrews as well. It says in Hebrews 6.20, whether the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You'll see several times in the book of Hebrews, namely Hebrews 5, 6, or 7, this spoken of Jesus Christ made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus Christ is the high priest. Here he is forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now listen to me. The order of Melchizedek's priesthood, the Bible says, would last forever. The order of it would last forever. In other words, it was an eternal priesthood. According to Hebrews 7, 3, Melchizedek's order of priesthood was one that abideth a priest continually. There is no stop. There is no end. His priesthood being in contrast to the Old Testament priesthood of the Levites and the priesthood of Aaron and his sons, that was a temporary priesthood. It served a purpose in time in the Old Testament and then it eventually dissipated and was no longer needed, but not, listen to me, not the order of Melchizedek. It was eternal. It was a priest abiding continually. So whenever Abraham, listen to me, gave tithes of all, not necessarily unto a man, Melchizedek, but unto God through a priest, Melchizedek, who represented a eternal, everybody say eternal, eternal order. So Abraham gave, listen to me then, to an eternal order, not temporary, not Old Testament time frame only, an eternal order. Therefore, ladies and gentlemen, I know that people have their voices out there, but hear the scripture as a result of giving to an eternal order, 
then tithing as it was deemed them, so it is now, is an eternal practice. Everybody with me on the journey this morning? It's an eternal practice, not just kept or regulated to the Old Testament scripture as some would keep it. Abraham understood the principle back then. Give to who you have received from. And if God is the possessor of heaven and earth, then everything I receive, if he's the possessor of it all, everything that I receive must have came from him. Name tag to me from God. And if God delivered mine enemies into my hand, then Abraham received from God. He gave Abraham his enemies. Wrapped up in a box. Here's your enemies, Abraham, to Abraham from God. And Abraham's starting to notice all these gifts and blessings that came from God. Says, I'm going to give unto God through the order of Melchizedek, which is the eternal order. And this is not just going to be for my generation, but for generations to come. That our duty, our responsibility, our obligation that becomes a privilege is giving back to who we have received from. Now note, there's a king of Sodom that comes out to Abraham as well. Sodom, you can read of in scripture, Genesis 19, is equivalent, associated with evil, wickedness, sinners. The king of Sodom comes out to meet Abraham as well. And he comes with a persuasive word. And his persuasive word to Abraham was this. Abraham, why don't you keep all those goods yourself? Mm -hmm. This is after Abraham's already given. But there's a voice of wickedness. A voice of evil of another world. That's coming to Abraham and said, Abraham, why don't you just keep all of this? You fought the war. You worked out there. You put in 70 hours this week out on the battlefield. Why don't you just keep all of that? It's rightfully yours. You know what I hear going through Abraham's mind with the temptation to keep everything? God, whose I am, is the possessor of heaven. <laughs> the illustration was great and I didn't even plan it. Of heaven and of earth. And you know what he said into that king of Sodom that was making him to think, hey, why don't you keep all that? You deserve it. You got that by your hand. You did the work for it. All you boys sweat some tears and, and, and some sweat for it. Why don't you just keep all of it? You know what his response was to the king of Sodom. It was this in verse 22 of Genesis 19. He said, wait a moment. He said, I've, lift, I've already lifted my hand unto the Lord. How did you lift your hand to the Lord, Abraham? Because I already gave to the one from whom I received. Honey, I realize this isn't really mine. I realize I'm not standing before you today because of my own doing. It's been and the privilege and the doing of my great God that allows me to stand where I stand today. It would do some of us well in the church or out of church to come to the realization that the stream that you're standing in that's flowing with water for your life and family comes from a source and that source is God. 
Give him your life. Give him your worship. Give him your praise. Give him your finances. Give it to who you have received from. Woo. Abraham got it. You know, we got verses on prayer. We got verses on faith. But even more than prayer and faith, there's verses about 2,000 on money and material possessions. And we've been around whenever Jesus ministered in his public ministry upon the earth. We'd heard him talk about two out of every three times upon money. Now, none of us, here's, this is the for sure thing, none of us can Denied the involvement of money in our lives. Can you? I mean, it would seem in some respects, sometimes, Bishop, that most, if not all things, revolves around money. Even the preacher in Ecclesiastes 10, 19 stated that money answereth all things. Now, you start taking a quick inventory of your life. House, that requires money. Vehicles, requires money. Food, money. Clothing, whether from the goodwill or from the hilt, guess what? Requires money. My water and electric. You know, they don't just send that to my home without asking for something. They didn't even put me on the budget. If I'm, if I'm not squared up at the end of the year, I still got to. Send them money. Go on vacation? When's the last time you went on vacation to spend any money? For one, you just getting to wherever your destination is wasn't a cheap ride or fly or Amtrak or whatever you take. <laughs> Recreation that you have in everyday life. A lot of this stuff traces right back to money. And with that being said, you know, you, look, you talk about money answering all things. Man, think of, think of different issues. Well, I hope it doesn't happen all the time. Think of different issues where people have used money as a tool of persuasion. Maybe legally and illegally. <laughs> well, Lord, it answers all things. <laughs> and please note, whenever Solomon Ecclesiastes said that money answers all things, remember who's writing that, Solomon in a backslidden condition. Somebody hearing me? The God factor wasn't even involved. So through Solomon in a backslidden condition, he's saying, through carnal eyes, money's the answer. And if I've not heard it once, I've heard it several times, how something would be rectified if I just had more. Boy, I tell you what, if I had more money, I could, I would, this wouldn't fill in the blanks for me. You are. Thank you so much for doing that. The Bible says in Psalm 62, verse 10, David says, he says, trust not in oppression, become not vain in robbery. This is interesting to me. He says, if riches increase, he said, set not thine heart upon them. He said, man, even if there's an increase of riches, he said, don't set your heart on them. Amen. More money. Listen, some of you already know this, but more money is not the answer to several life situations. 
most situations, the issue is not having enough money. It's called stewardship. Having better stewardship. Managing your money. Not more money, but better means and ways of managing your money that you got. Because let me ask you this. What is the purpose of having more money to mismanage? If you can't manage $100, you're, going to, you're not going to manage $100,000. Oh, boy. Maybe I'm lingering too long here. We'll get back talking about you giving your life to God and stuff like that. Listen, the Bible speaks about money. Listen to some of the terminology that the Bible uses concerning money. It calls it unrighteous mammon, unrighteous money. In one place in the Testament Scripture, it calls it filthy lucre. Filthy. Calls it the deceitfulness of riches. Almost given a flavor of being defiled or tainted in some state. When, listen to me, the clarification of these is when no part of it is rendered to God. However, conversely to what I just said, when a portion has been given to God, we see terminology like glorious riches. Sacrifices that are well-pleasing to God. How can this be? Romans 11, verse 16. I'm moving, folks. I know I seem a little long today, but that's all right. Romans eleven sixteen. For if the first fruit be holy. Everybody say the lump. The lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. The word holy here means set apart for God. To be, as it were, exclusively his. It means the hallowed or sacred or reverenced portion. If the first fruit is exclusively his. If that part or portion is exclusively his. Let me say it like this. The lump is sacred and hallowed and reverenced as well. Walk with me. We're going to walk. God in the Old Testament scripture required the first fruit by and large most times the first fruit of the ground whenever people gave their first fruits to God whenever they gave that first fruit of the ground the first fruit to the ground to God they were holy they were exclusively God's by setting that portion apart for God but the amazing principle and blessing in the matter is this by doing that, the rest of the fruits that they had. When they set the first fruit aside for God, the rest of the fields that they had and the fruit of the field became holy, sacred, reverenced as well. Mm -hmm. So the first fruit, which is our tithe, our tenth, whenever we set that aside for God, you know what God does? He makes sacred and hallowed the rest of the money that you have to your name. And that which was unrighteous mammon becomes glorious riches. That which was filthy lucre becomes a sacrifice well, pleasing and unfathomable unto God. But it don't happen unless the first fruit the only way the lump becomes holy is by the first fruit you give being coming holy. So that, 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 that tenth of your increase, it becomes holy. And then by doing so, it changes the character of the rest of the lump. 
whether your lump in your eyes is big or small, the lump, amen, <laughs> becomes holy. Whenever I do that, all this happens. Listen, folks, just in, just in natural terms, think about money for a moment. No problem, got it covered. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is just too fun. Think, think about it for a moment. Especially in today's society. Think about the literal circulation of money. I'm talking about paper money, coin money. Think about the literal circulation of that money. Think for a moment what the journey some of that money has been on. The establishments it's been in. The things that it actually purchased and bought. If nobody's thinking, can I just, you know, start spewing out something? Think about the strip clubs that those dollars have went through. Think about the abortion clinics that that money's filtered in. Think about some illegal ventures that money has been involved in. And it lands in your hands. Filthy. Tainted. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Vile. Abomination type of transactions. But whenever I give to where I received it from, he takes the unrighteous. He said, we're cleaning it up. Who knows the curse, if I could say it like that, that's on some of that money. But whenever you give to where you receive, he says, I'll take away the curse. I go, you know, people contest, you know, Abraham could have contested, man, I worked hard for that money. This is my money. I'll do what I want to with my money. Consider. I got to go on. Consider Deuteronomy 8, 17. The Bible says, and thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of mine hand have gotten me this wealth. Verse 18, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he who tie that giveth thee power to get wealth. Let me tell you something great today, folks. God wants to take your cursed money and give you blessed money. God wants to take your cursed life, give you a blessed life. Hear me today. The call was to tithe the fruit of the ground. Listen to me. But the ground from the very beginning in Genesis, after the failure and the transgression and the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, 17, God told Adam that cursed is the ground for thy sake. Listen to me. So from that point in time, the ground is cursed. So what is God's solution then for the cursed ground for humanity? God says, humanity, I want you to give me the first fruits of that ground. Give me the tenth. Give me the tithe of that ground. Amen. And by you submitting it to me, it the rest of the ground will become holy, making the ground holy. It's cursed right now. But if you give me the first fruits of it, I'll change the cursed ground to holy ground when you give it to the one who has given it to you. 
God, I tell you unequivocally today, God will do the same thing for your life. When you give your portion to God, God will bless the rest that you have. When you give your life to God, God will bless the rest of the life that you've got when you give to who you have received from. Blesses you when you give to where you receive from. Because whenever you tell God by giving your tithes and your offerings as well that you're going to trust him with your resources, you know what God in essence says back to you? That he can trust you with his resources. You just tapped into the Swiss bank account you never had. The Bible says, I'm hastening to a close. Stand with me today. The Bible says in Proverbs 3 verse 9, it says, honor the Lord with thy substance. And with the first fruits of all thine increase. Look at verse 10. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty. Now that doesn't always describe a over super surplus abundance, but with plenty. You got somebody, you got it, do you, you got enough food to eat? I got plenty. What are you telling them back? Yeah, I got enough. It's so shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out whoa, with new wine. So listen, look at the blessing and honoring the Lord with your substance. Look what happens when you honor the Lord with the first fruits with your tithes of all your increase. Is there any lack? No, not seemingly. Yeah, we interpret some things that it could be a little better God, but he has all things under his power and control. He knows when and where to do what he does. And so what we have here is something that's absolutely against our human reasoning. But this is God reasoning, not human reasoning. And it goes against our human reasoning, Brother Terry. That, listen, these people here in Scripture increased their substance in the barn and in the press by giving a portion of it away. That don't make sense. They increased by giving it away. I, I, I can't figure that out on paper. How you subtract, and at the, the same time you're subtracting, there's an addition taking place. But this is God's economy, not our economy. You give to God, you better watch out. You give to God. And I'm not, not just your finances, your time. Your praise, your worship. Give God your life. Yes, give God your life. And in doing so, by giving it away. Uh-huh. What did he say? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? But in the gaining he lost. He says, but if a man will lose it, Give it away. You go get it. Give your life to God. Give your praise and worship to God. Give your monetary means to God. And the principle is a principle that's forever true in Scripture. Whenever you give to who you have received from, he's going to bust forth your wine press, and he's going to fill your barns with plenty, and you will not be disappointed. Hear this preacher on a Sunday morning that God will again give you your enemies. 
Mm, yes. Hallelujah. We just bow our heads in this place this morning. Bow our heads around here today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place today. I feel the presence of God. Bow our heads this morning. I want to talk to you folk. I want to talk to you today. Because I, I feel without doubt today that there's people sitting under the sound of my voice. That if you do, if you have done like I've asked today and you have surveyed your life. And you have surveyed the past months, perhaps even years of your life. You're seeing some packages come underneath, uh, so to speak, your individual tree. That have said, this is to so and so from God. This is to so and so from God. And you have been blessed beyond measure. You have been taken care of. He has had a careful hand up on you, safeguarding you, protecting you, amen, all along the journey. And you need to survey this morning this. What have you reciprocated? What have you returned unto the master? Personally, I don't know about you, but whenever I begin to think of things like that, I do as those Gentiles did. I consider myself a debtor unto Christ. I consider myself a debtor unto Christ. And you know what? Folks, it's not a vicious cycle. It's a, it's a pleasant cycle. That whenever you realize how much you've been blessed by God and you turn around and bless Him, you don't lose. You just get blessed. You don't lose, but you again receive and return. Let me tell you, it's a good life living and given for the Lord. It's a good life. It's a good life. Now, no, well, that doesn't mean there ain't going to be times that there's relatives that have been taken captive in war. Hear me. It doesn't say there's not going to be times of battle, but what it does tell me is this, that if there is any victory that takes place, it's all because of God, the possessor of heaven and the possessor of earth. These altars are open today. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.